Hello, everybody. Welcome again to another episode of Ego Check with the It DM. I am your host, Michael Mallon, and this week I am joined by Greg Tito, a communications manager for Dungeons & Dragons. been hoping to have him on the show for a long time, so really thrilled uh, to have this opportunity to talk to him. Greg, welcome. Thanks, man. I'm excited to be here, too. Uh, yeah, we have been going back and forth for a while, and I'm glad uh, we can we can finally make this happen here uh, in you know the end of 2017. Yes, and I, I had some personal stuff on my end, including some issues with uh, my, my little one, so I'm glad that it, it no. works out for us to talk today. How old is uh, how old is your little one? So our son, Hugo, is about 10 and a half months. Actually, he'll be 11 months next Friday. Wow. Brand new. Um, brand new. He's walking. He is babbling. And as of last night, he was projectile vomiting, which was... Oh, no. We, our first trip as parents to urgent care, oh, which dear. was, I feel like, an achievement. I leveled up there, and he, I actually stayed home with him today, and he's been fine. He No vomit. He's been taking down liquids and being his normal happy self, so I think we're on the right track. Whew, that's good. Good to hear. I know that can be really scary as a parent myself. You know, with uh, I have a four-year-old and a six-year-old, so you know any kind of thing that uh, threatens them, it, you feel it on an existential level, don't you? Yeah, there were some existential thoughts definitely going on last night as we were in the waiting room. At mm. you know, it's like, well, this is probably some kind of stomach bug, but maybe it's something else, and you, yeah. you know, your mind starts trailing off in really interesting directions. Having having played Dungeons and Dragons and knowing that there's always going to be more drama around the corner, I think it almost trains us to think like that. <laughs> that we're like, this 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 is only the beginning of a story. Like this is you know Stranger Things, uh, uh, you know, before it even happens, right? Yeah, that is kind of it is very interesting to just have that encounter building mindset always in your head. Of, yeah. Well, what's behind this door? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But I'm glad to hear uh, uh, he's doing better. Little Hugo. That's a, that's a good name. I like that. Yes. Yeah, He's he's been a joy. So I wanted to start off by talking a little bit about, about your background. So before sure. coming to Wizards of the Coast, which I believe you started back in February 2015? Uh, yeah, that's take? about right. I think it was the March 9th, 2015, if I'm, if I'm remembering correctly. Okay. And before that, you were editor-in-chief of The Escapist, correct? That's right. Yeah, no, I was there. I was at The Escapist uh, for about five years. Got there in 2009, and uh, but I've been doing freelance uh, ahead of that as well. And so for folks who might not be familiar with The Escapist, like, what was your roles <laughs> and responsibilities there in a nutshell? Well, uh, you know, honestly, it, it's, a, it's a weird uh, uh, path that I took. So let me start at the beginning. When I was uh, uh, in the early aughts, um, I graduated from college and I was going to be a famous playwright, uh, you know, star of the stage and or, or be, you know, and be in the entertainment industry. Like that was the dream, right? Um, and there's still time, you know. Yeah. It's, it's still ticking, right? Uh, but I was uh, moved moved to New York City and was doing theater there, and uh, uh, married my girlfriend from from college, and and we were living together, and she was an actress, and we were making theater with uh, uh, friends of ours from the theater community uh, who had also moved down there. But you know, for whatever reason, it never really kind of became my full time job. It was a uh, uh, you know a passion, uh, and so I took up other. You know, day jobs as you do, um, and uh, filled that time by reading a lot about games that were coming out. And I, I, I always had a love of Dungeons and Dragons, and I was happily married and and uh, living in one of the biggest cities in the world. And I'm like, you know what? 
I, I can play Dungeons and Dragons now. I, I had came from a, a hardcore Catholic background uh, in which Dungeons and Dragons was frowned upon, among <laughs> other things like Simpsons and MTV and MASH. They were right. all like instruments of the devil, you know. And uh, I lived through all that, and you know, I still always had a fascination for fantasy. I loved uh, all that stuff. So when when I was like, man, I can play D and D now, I, I, I can do that. Uh, I joined a group uh, in in Manhattan, and we we started uh, uh, with the Age of Worms campaign uh, that. That was in uh, Dragon Magazine. It was one of the first um, adventure paths that uh, Paizo did when they were when they were publishing those magazines. Okay, uh, and we dove into it and we you know, played that for like the next two and a half, three years, really. Um, and I was fortunate enough that a lot of the people in that group uh, were also. D and D creators, you know, they 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 wanted to, to uh, freelance. And I, one of them we actually met a little bit later on uh, was a freelancer in Fourth Edition. His name was Aton Bernstein, and uh, that was right around. By the end of it, it was when Fourth Edition was around the corner. So we're talking like 2006, mm-hmm. uh, 2007, and uh, we got the playtest materials for Fourth Edition, and we we're really excited about uh, uh, the new directions that Dungeons and Dragons was going to go. Uh, try you know uh, you worked with uh, Goodman Games on uh, uh, a few supplements right around the launch of Fourth Edition about the, some of the classes that weren't in in the launch uh, for, uh, from Wizards of the Coast. Okay. And then at the same time, I was playing a lot of video games. I was playing a lot of World of Warcraft, uh, uh, Civilization, things like that. And I had randomly seen a Penny Arcade comic mentioning a web publication, another web publication that uh, uh, Tycho was writing in called The Escapist. And it was new because it was a uh, it was like a PDF that was sent out to people via email. So it had like magazine quality uh, layout. Uh, that was the, that was the goal of it. it was like here we're going to do video game journalism uh, online, you know, digitally, but with the idea of it being a, a, an online magazine in a way. Okay. Uh, and there was something really attractive about that. It was very cool. And I just saw that, you know, like I said, Tycho uh, Brahe, who was you know uh, Jerry Holkins and. Mm-hmm. Funnily enough, work with him now uh, on a more professional level. But I, he, at the time, he was he was well, I think a writer on the first issue, and I was like, huh, let me just pitch something to them. So I pitched something uh, to the Escapist because they had a little email that you could pitch a story to them, and uh, it was about playing uh, the game Alpha Centauri, the old Sid Meier jam uh, in 1999. Uh, while I was on a fellowship to be writing plays, I, instead of actually <laughs> writing the plays, I was much more comfortable jumping into uh, a digital world. And, and, and doing that, uh, so that was that was my first time I got paid for writing. Uh, so it was kind of an important deal for me. And I'm like, oh man, this gaming something's got something going to it. So so I did that, and then I got all these fourth edition, you know, kind of uh, in the era of fourth edition design jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think uh, I pitched a few more articles to the Escapist, and kind of did it on like a once or twice a year type thing. And then they were looking for a full time editor uh, to join their staff, and I on a lark again just kind of was like, hey, let me just apply see what happens and i uh, spoke to the editor-in-chief there at the time his name was russ pitts and uh he was a theater person too or at least had done theater in the past and we you know connected really well over the phone he's like all right well why don't you move down to north carolina and start this job and my wife and i had been living in new york for 10 years and we're kind of like yeah let's do something different why not move to the south why okay. what, what could go wrong right so we moved to, to durham north carolina uh kind of on a on a, on a lark uh and uh that's where we had our two kids and uh i 
delved first, you know, into the the, the day to day writing about about video games. But I was always had that love of tabletop uh, and especially Dungeons and Dragons, uh, and I was always pushing our the editors to to do more tabletop content, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, then, you know, as people started filtering out of that office, and and uh, I started rising up the ranks and uh, being a big part of it. Um, and uh, eventually, when the editor, last editor in chief left, I was like, oh, I was the next in line, and uh, I kind of took that over. Now, my memories of the escapists are kind of not as good anymore because of how it ended. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't want to go into too much of it, but it was, sure. it was not it was not a good 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 feel for the last uh, I would say year uh, that I was there. Uh, but luckily enough, I was also looking for for something else, and I found through some of my my video game contacts that a uh, an opening was here at the at Wizards of the Coast, and and landed the job right as I was getting laid off from the escapist. So. That's that's how I ended up here. It was kind of a, a circumventing way, and there's a lot more detail in that. But it, it, it was it was a long ride, and I don't think if you had told me, you know, that kid who had found the Dungeons and uh, Dungeons and Dragons uh, Dungeon Master's Guide uh, in the public library uh, uh, or on my brother's shelf, you know, in like 1987 or whatever, that I'd be working for this company uh, that makes Dungeons and Dragons. I don't think that that person would have would have known it uh, and, and believed it. But it was it was something that was always uh, a dream, and it's it's kind of amazing that it, that, that here it is. And I certainly want to get into you know what it's like to work for Wizards and how that journey from being very much a, a fan of the hobby and now you know, working for the company. But it sounds like you've kind of crisscrossed the country quite a bit, New York City, down North Carolina. Now you're out in Washington, correct? Yeah, right. Yeah, living in Seattle. That's right. And, you know, I've done a bit of that. I grew up in New Jersey. That's where I went to college. Then I came out to the Midwest for graduate school. I lived seven years down in Houston, Texas. Thought I was only I thought I was going to be there for a year for a postdoc job. And then that turned into seven years later, you know, got a job working there. Now I'm back in the Midwest again. Nice. And maybe more of a global question, but just what's it been like moving around the country and being exposed to different regions, different ideas, different norms? I love it. I actually do. I think there's something really uh, uh, exciting about exactly that like being exposed to different people different cultures different you know uh species of of, of plants and animals you know <laughs> my uh, my brother was just here visiting uh from the east coast he he lives in uh, Newport Rhode Island area and we were just you know we just like kind of took an afternoon to drive around the Seattle area and he's like man this is just it's not what it looks like back east you know mm-hmm. and, and for me it's 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 the the evergreen trees here are are enormous and kind of pervasive uh but it's also the mountains you know mm-hmm. like here in seattle there's you know you, any direction you look there's there's mountains and in in the east coast there's there's no mountains there's nothing there's 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 large hills maybe that but that's about it and uh so just being able to to like on my way to work i i can see mount rainier uh you know it's 30 miles away but it feels like it's like right in front of my face every time i i i turn the corner you know Going going down to uh, to Renton, uh, where uh, the Wizards of the Coast offices are, it's 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 amazing, um, you know. And then and right being exposed to, to different cultures in in North Carolina was uh, was eye opening. You know, it's a it's a, we lived in Durham, North Carolina, so okay. it was the little uh, bastion of uh, liberalism uh, within a very red state. Uh, so, you know, it's kind of a college town, so it's got like that, that vibe to it, definitely even more so than, than Raleigh. Uh, 
and and you know, Durham now has uh, has got Duke University, uh, so like there's a lot of people who come here from as you mentioned internationally and globally. Like yeah, a lot of people come there because that's where they get their their medical degrees or things like that. So mm-hmm. we met lots of great people there, and there was a, there was an interesting community. Uh, the pool was something that I'd never really been exposed to. Uh, the idea of <laughs> th- that pool of in your development being like the center of the community mm-hmm. uh, was uh, was was my big takeaway. We loved that. We loved being you know this having our friends and our neighbors just all congregating at the at the community pool um and it was definitely necessary in the in the sweltering heats of, of uh of, of, a, of a durham uh a summer uh even like you know a durham six months between uh a may and october it's super unbearable out there oh, yeah. uh, but, but you know what i don't miss the most is uh the mosquitoes oh yeah They're- there, you'd walk outside, you know, just to take out the trash and get ten bites on your arms. It was terrible, uh, and that's one of the. I keep saying that about people about Seattle. It's like there's no mosquitoes, like not even just like oh, a reduced amount. Like there's very little. Like I've seen like one or two mosquitoes in the two and a half years I've been here, uh, and that alone is is worthwhile to come to Seattle. And I wonder, as a you know, someone who's also been a, a designer, you know. Having this exposure to different environments, different people, different subcultures in some way, how has that been helpful for some of the work that you do? Um, I think more than anything else, it's taught me that uh, uh, being open and friendly and inclusive is the best practice you know uh i think in my youth like many people you know you get a little misanthropic you're like oh i hate people and people suck um at least i did uh, i don't know if, if not everybody had that same experience but i definitely was that that kind of kid uh in, in i think it's a pretty you know, common phase at some point to take that on sure right even though i was probably i was probably a pretty you know i, I mean a ha- happy youth it just I, I always had that feeling of like oh people suck you know whatever what and uh you know over the course of being exposed to so many different cultures and things like that uh it's really fine-tuned my love of conversing with people mm-hmm. and if that makes any sense and that's pretty much what the core of dungeons and dragons is you know and i think yeah. that's a lot of the reason why people are so drawn to it now is that uh, you know, I, I mean, I, I'm a person who looks at screens pretty much 90% of my day, but there's 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 something about putting down the screen and looking at a, a face, uh, even if it is a face on a screen, uh, uh, if you're playing a game uh, online using you know uh, uh, an online tabletop or something like that. Like there's something about like that that back and forth between people that is 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 at the core of what makes uh uh us people not not even like what makes games you know games like Dungeons and Dragons great but it's the core of what makes people people mm-hmm. uh and uh i think that more than anything else has has really uh excited me about being able to move around and go anywhere and uh make friends uh anywhere or at least being able to have a a meaningful conversation with someone anywhere and that ties into something i think just you know having followed you on twitter now for quite a while and your feed, it seems like you're never in one place for too long. Uh, there's <laughs> always these conventions and conferences, and it seems like you're wearing many different hats for for Wizards. So I think your title is Senior Communications Manager. But That's right. 
how many different things are you in charge of at the moment? Well, I, I'm not sure about in charge of, but we, uh, you know, when I, when I got hired, it was to be the voice of uh, messaging, you know, like writing the press releases, being the, the liaison to people who might write about our games and things like that. Okay. And then over the, the, you know, the course of the last two and a half years that I've been here, uh, we've talked a lot about, uh, I mean, that, that was kind of the more traditional, you know, public relations role, right? Sure. Um, and, we uh, saw very early on that like uh, 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 streaming and influencers and getting people to extol the virtues of what makes Dungeons and Dragons cool. That's not just us. Uh, it was a very powerful way of spreading the word about what makes this game cool, right? So uh, over the course of that, we've you know we've expanded into doing more uh, Twitch programming and and I don't want to say like direct marketing, but like just a direct line of communication to uh, to fans, uh, uh, you know, beyond Twitter, beyond beyond Facebook, beyond things that are, are a little bit more text based, but just actually, I mean, it goes back to what I was saying about like being able to see someone's face mm -hmm. and 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 feel like you're communicating with them directly. Is, 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 is very powerful. So in some ways, I'm, I'm, I'm in charge of, of that uh, initiative. Uh, I work closely with uh, Bart Carroll uh, on the team who, who kind of manages more of the day-to-day the -day Twitch programming. Um, uh, Trevor Kidd, who does, uh, you know, used to be a, a large part of the what used to be called a community manager, mm -hmm. uh, has kind of morphed into more uh, social media and events uh, as, as his role. Uh, so uh, he and I work closely together. Um, and uh, it's also about talking... Uh, as I said to the to the community of people who are streaming Dungeons and Dragons, I mean, I think in some ways they've become uh, a, a a voice for us out when we can't be a voice and amongst ourselves. And I think what you're what you're kind of hinting at, which maybe people don't really realize, is that the the people who work on Dungeons and Dragons, uh, or the, the amount of people who work on Dungeons and Dragons, is very small. It's 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 not a big team uh, within Wizards of the Coast. I think there's right now there's 25 people. Uh, who, who work on all of D and D, and that goes from uh, the the creation of all of the text that goes into the books, the creation of all the art that goes into all of our books, the creation of the uh, graphic design that goes on uh, uh, every piece of art you see on the website, to uh, you know us who are dealing more about like you know having people talking about the book. Uh, it, it's not big; it's it's a very lean team. So many of us do have to wear several different hats in order mm -hmm. to, to make it work. And, you know, I, every once in a while we get overloaded and we're like, oh, my God, we've got so much to talk about and so much to do. You know, I didn't even mention like partner relations is a big part of that as well as mm -hmm. as 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 uh, the Gerald Force Nines and WizKids games and and uh, 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 Codename Entertainment that makes Idol Champions and and Perfect World and Cryptic who make Neverwinter. Like a big part of our job is also uh, uh, making sure they are up to date with what our, our, our new storylines are going to be so that, you know, they have a much longer lead time for, for some things and, and all that. So it's a, it's, it's a big thing. And so as far as what I'm, what I kind of touch on a day-to-day -day basis, it's all that. <laughs> I'm not even sure where to start with all that. So it right. sounds like it's, it's amazingly hectic. And I, how do you keep this organized for yourself? Is this, do you have some kind of master calendar list? Like what, how is your day even scheduled? Um, good question. Uh, it's shifted a lot, uh, especially recently in dealing with some of the, uh, the, the, the newer challenges with dealing with our, our small team and, and organizing. But the, what's been working really well, uh, even just I want to say as recently as the last few weeks, is uh, uh, we do have a master calendar. It's actually displayed uh, uh, in our new space um, on a, on a kind of dry erase board type thing. 
so yeah, I get together with uh, some of the folks that I just mentioned, so Bart Carroll and Trevor Kidd on a, on a daily basis pretty much in the mornings. Uh, we talk about what the day is going to be like, which which stream is the one that we're producing from inside uh, the building, You know, what outstanding uh, uh, paperwork needs to get done, uh, what uh, uh, problems might have popped up from the day before that we need addressed, that kind of thing. So it's not a long meeting, uh, but it is a daily kind of get-together to, to – to, talk about what the major issues are of the day um and then uh, it almost this- sounds like in because i'm like in a healthcare field and like with the members of the t- my team it's like a physician a nurse and we call it a huddle so it's like early mm-hmm. in the morning you kind of say okay this is who the patients are coming in here's what we need to do it sounds somewhat similar to, to what you guys do just to kind of map out the day a bit yeah, and you know, we, we kind of took it from the um, uh, the digital development side of things, where they call it a stand up. Okay. You know, where it's like it's just because it's a it's a, a quick informal uh, meeting, uh, and uh, usually in front of a board or something where people can write something down really quickly, right? So yeah, no, it's that same idea of like let's get everybody on the same page. Here's our major goals for today, and make sure that we execute on them uh, before things get dropped because. I'm I I'm gonna be I, I'm this this bleeds into my dungeon mastering as well. <laughs> I am not a good planner. I'm, okay. I don't like – well, that's not true. I'm a good planner in my head, if that makes sense. I know how to scope out like you know the plot of a, of a D&D adventure in my head. I'm like, all right, well, this is where it's going to kind of go, and I'll, I'll improvise it as I go. And I might jot a very few notes down. When I'm when I'm organizing meetings and doing stuff like that, I'm much more the same way. Like I kind of keep it all in my brain, and I jot down things to make me remember stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And that's good if you're, you know, working on your own or or have a project like that that uh, uh, you know doesn't doesn't need to be displayed for everyone. And and so so having these kind of stand up meetings is a good way to get all that stuff that's in my head like out uh, into uh, the rest of the team, so everyone kind of knows what's going on and making that stuff happen, right? And I know other other dungeon masters who. Uh, uh, jot everything out, have it written, have backstories written four or five times in a row, you know, like and having you know, lots of stuff, uh, to, to draw from just in case they need it. Uh, and, uh, or, or, and people who project manage that way where they have, uh, uh, you know, handouts and story and, and things and, and, you know, processes and forms and all these. And if they don't do them the right way, then they get flustered. And I've always been much more of a, a, a fluid, manager of projects which i know can sometimes not you know it's not always the best it's just kind of the way it works best for me mm-hmm. and so yeah no i've had to adapt a little bit in order to making sure that uh it's not just in my head it's 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 out uh for for all to see and kind of managing it as as it comes that way but it it, it can make for you know very creative uh, D sessions when you don't plan it all at a time a lot of improv <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. No, I, I've I've taken. I, I used to think that was a bad thing, and then I, you know, having been exposed to speaking to uh, Chris Perkins and Mike Morales about their dungeon mastering styles, uh, you know, it's 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 nice to have some of your oh yeah, that's how I do it. Kind of get validated. You mentioned that it's the team that works on D and D. Everyone is about twenty five people, which I think for many people listening, that might be surprising because it seems like a bigger enterprise than just that many folks working on the product. And so I imagine that there's a lot of overlap between departments and roles and how, from being on the inside, what does that look like to you? Um, what, what do you mean? Is everybody wearing multiple hats? I, I guess, yeah. Or I imagine you have a lot of interaction with the, you know, the other 20 people or so who are also part of the product. 
Sure. Yeah. No, we, uh, it is a bit siloed in a way where like, you know, the art team works really well, uh, really closely together, but then, you know, they have, uh, uh, me, it's, you know, one thing that I learned coming from, uh, the, I, I was also in a small company at the escapist. So it was very kind of, you know, more bare bones as far as, uh, uh, organization stuff went. Uh, but coming here, it has much more of a meeting culture mm-hmm. where, if we're going to move a project forward, it makes much more sense to get everybody in a room and talk about it. And sometimes that's to our detriment where we, we, we meet too often and that takes up time from the actual working of stuff. But I, I think I, I really like that. Maybe that's just because for me as being a more verbal, uh, uh, mental communicator, uh, that works really well. So yeah, no, I mean, each team is, each team within those 25 works really well, uh, together. And I think what, Many people may not know uh, is that nearly – I mean I'm one of the newest members of the team. Mm-hmm. Let me put it that way. Most of the team that has been has been at Wizards of the Coast for 10-plus years, uh, some of them in here 20-plus years. And when you think about that from a, you know, from a modern company standpoint uh, – It's a long time. It just doesn't exist. You, know, you don't really think about that from other places. Not even you – know, it's, it's – we kind of take for granted that that Dungeons and Dragons uh, has been around for 43 years. Like, you know, that's that's not a insignificant amount of time for uh, a product like this to be around, right? So there's that. But then there's also the people who've just been been either stewards of it or have been, you know, uh, uh, freelancers at one point, or and then you know come on to be uh, uh, longer parts of it. You know, like it, it's kind of insane that they uh, have such a um, uh, comfortability with how to how to make the best Dungeons and Dragons products that some of the, the, like if you put a, a team of new people together that were, you know, 25 new people go make D and D, um, <laughs> even if they were the most talented people in the world, it'd be really hard, uh, for them to do it because they don't have that experience of, of, of working together as a team. And I think what's happened over time here at, uh, uh, uh with this team is that they know each other so well and they know each other's processes so well. They know how, uh, uh, Jeremy Crawford knows how to, uh, you know, have edits the stuff that Mike Merles and, and the rest of the, the story team comes up with and that kind of thing. So uh, the relationships are all really good. We all really like each other. Uh, we all are really um, on the same page about 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 a lot of things, about what, what D&D is and what it means and, and, and uh, uh, where we think it should go going forward. So a, a lot of the politics that might, you know, shatter teams, you know, or, 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 or make them feel like a, a – uh, you're working at it uh, odds with each other. It's kind of all been filtered away over, uh, slowly over time uh, with the way this team has been put together. So it's been really cool uh, being a part of uh, it and me coming in and and and, and feeling uh, embraced by the team. And and that's why I think they can we can do so many different jobs and wear so many different hats is because of uh, uh, that perfected communication style among the team. You mentioned something there about, and I'm curious to get your perspective on this as someone who's been a player of D and D for. A long, long time, and now you know working for the company for the past few years. What is D and D to you? Or I don't know if that's a question more as a personal question, or not from your position as a communications manager, but just your exposure to everything, like in terms of talking to people about the game, and in some ways selling the game. But like, what is D and D? 
That's a good question. It's something that we we uh, or at least I don't think I ever really thought about until I, I came into this position. You know, because if you're trying to uh, uh, convince people that what what you're 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 putting out there is worthwhile, you know, you really do have to get at the core of it. You're like, what is it? Mm-hmm. You know, what what makes this uh, so engaging for so many people? And uh, I don't want to be too bombastic or 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 uh, feel like I'm 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 blowing smoke up our own butts, but no, totally go for bombacity <laughs> and hyperbole. Well, people have been telling stories since history began. I mean, that's what history is. It is telling stories of what happened before, and Dungeons and Dragons really allow uh, provides the framework for that very human thing in some ways it's the definition of what humanity is you know what may, what sets us apart from animals is the ability to communicate and pretend you know to mm-hmm. to to be sentient and have wants and needs and feelings but then also pretend that we're someone else mm-hmm. um you know or, or that you know that that you're portraying you know like a, even those storytellers around the campfire you know in the ice ages they were pretending to be someone else for the entertainment of their community and dungeons and dragons brings that to the forefront obviously there's you know uh way more fantasy tropes and there's math involved and you know all the rules of of, of interactions of it but at its core it's about storytelling with in your community, to your friends, you know, getting together and telling stories around a campfire. And I think that's a big reason why people are drawn to it now when there is so much people looking at, uh, you know, passive entertainment, you know, like, I, and I do it too. I love it. I love playing, watching whatever I can consume. I mean, we're really in the golden age of television and they're telling stories too, but there's something about Dungeons and Dragons that lets you be an active part in that storytelling that just people love and are so drawn to uh and you don't and there's something more it's like going to an improv uh comedy show versus going to see a a comedic play Mm -hmm. both are really good but one is so much more exciting and is funny because you know it's being made up on the fly right Mm -hmm. and i think that's what dungeons and dragons allows people it's that they're not just passively watching something they know that what is happening is pure imagination because they're seeing it being imagined in front of them you know and or or they're doing the imagining themselves in front of other people and and i think that's it i think that that's what the core of dungeons and dragons is now of course there's there's all the rules that 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 facilitate that and make that happen and i think uh uh, mike merles and jeremy crawford and 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 the rest of the team that has put together this framework but they even had the idea that with fifth edition, the, the the evolution from fourth uh, into fifth, that this that the storytelling was something that we needed to to highlight on, and we got public feedback from that when when they started the um, the playtest sure. uh, for T and D next. That's what the feedback was. I mean, people. I mean, many people love fourth edition, and people still play it to this day. Um, but I think that was the element that was not highlighted by the printed books as well. Uh, was 
that you you are the empower uh, empowering storytelling amongst uh, everyone. Now, of course, you always had players and and groups that were storytelling using that, but I think that's the the major evolution from fourth to fifth was the focus on storytelling, putting things like character flaws and bonds and uh, 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 backgrounds like front and center on the character page to make people really think about what makes their character tick more so than the you know your int score and your strength score and all that uh, or even your powers, you know. Uh, so uh, yeah. Yeah, that's it. That's it. That's what I think it is at, at its core. And for you as the communications manager, how are those ideas conveyed in a more or less a textbook? Uh, you know what I mean? Like that seems to be a challenge to, because as a player of the game, as a DM, and you know somebody who's enjoyed this hobby for a long, long time, the, the things you, that you just described are very dynamic, and it brings up a lot of stories from around the table of things that have happened with in my groups where. We're talking about it 10 years later about some event that happened in a game. And I think, yeah, that's D&D. But how does that get conveyed, whether it's through a book or through a press release or what are the what have you learned over the years of how to do that? Well, I will say that I remember reading the Dungeon Master's Guide from the 80s that had maybe it was the player's handbook actually i don't remember but there was there was a script in the front of that page uh book i don't know if you remember it but it was like a two-page script and it was like this is what a typical dd session is like and it was very kind of stilted and didn't really feel real but okay i could see that this call and response what what the 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 character that's playing the fighter would say this and this is what the dungeon master would say and yada 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 right and i think that that got close to the best way to to show it for for the time, right? Mm-hmm. And I think you know, players' handbooks and dungeon masters' guides and 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 all the printed material since then has have have tried to extrapolate that. But I don't think you can learn. You really learn how to play any game, uh, but especially a game like Dungeons and Dragons, the best by reading the rules, by reading the manual. You know, so you know, Mike Merles has used this before, and I'll steal it from him. Where the you don't. If someone is, has never been exposed to baseball, you don't go and uh, give them the manual of all the rules of baseball and be like, go ahead, read this 300-page document, and that's all you need to know about baseball. You take them yeah. to a game. Mm-hmm. You take them to a, a, a game where they can watch it being played. You can explain why what strategic move makes the most sense, why there's drama in this one pitcher pitching against this one batter. That's how you explain what, what the power of baseball is, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that is also true for Dungeons & Dragons. You don't really grok what makes Dungeons & Dragons fun or entertaining or cool until you see it played. Uh, uh, I think that's the next step. Obviously, playing it is the next best step to, to kind of learning a game. But that's why I think it's so important that Twitch and the rise of online streaming video, whether you know, whatever platform it's on, has contributed to the boom of uh, Dungeons & Dragons that we're experiencing right now. I don't think the, the reading of a manual was the best way to get people into the game. You know, mm-hmm. the best people always said it was from friends and family or word of mouth or, or going to a convention and being exposed to it that way or through store play, that kind of thing. You know, we, we always recognize that, too. But that was those were the best tools that we had available to us. But now that we, we, we can watch people play online and it's so ubiquitous and it's it's really compelling, you know, it can be very, very strongly, you know, uh, acted stories. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's the best way to do it. That's the best way to explain the core, you know, even all that the previous answer of like, you know, what the core of Dungeons Dragons that explains it the best way 
right now. And uh, so we recognize that, and I was pushing for it even before we started uh, uh, really ramping up the D and D programming about six months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, yeah, it's been it's been shown that it is when there was already a momentum going for Dungeons and Dragons, it's only made it going uh, much more and reaching newer audiences and people who uh, may have had an inkling about what Dungeons and Dragons was or or are a fan of fantasy. I've uh, seen Harry Potter or you know Lord of the Rings and and want to be like, hey. I, I, I'm, I get what D&D is. I might want to jump into that. They can see it first be played uh, online. You know, They can watch Matt Mercer or uh, Girls Guts Glory or, or Mace Arcana just play through a game or two, and they're like, oh, okay, I get it now. I understand that, and and be inspired to, to try that on their own, either joining a group that they might know of, uh, going to a store, or, or – or, Maybe then picking up the book and, and then reading the rules and, 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 and seeing it with the context that they have of having watched that game be played. I agree. I think the ability to watch D&D being played is such a, it's such a boost for the hobby where otherwise you'd have to read about it or maybe a friend tells you about it. Now you can just click on a link and you can watch people playing. And it's such yeah. – it wasn't there – I mean – I don't know. It wasn't even there like three, four years ago that much. True. Right. No, there's been a boom since then, really. I mean, I think that's when it kind of exploded. Uh, and, you know, it's funny enough, at The Escapist, we had a, a D&D live play show. Gosh, it started in like 2010 or something like that. Mm-hmm. But I, I remember talking to people then and then being like, why would anybody want to watch this? You know, <laughs> and, and I think I, I might have even been persuaded myself being like, I don't know. I don't know why people want to watch this either. But like it was such an alien idea of like why would I want to watch people play a game uh, when I could be playing it myself? And I think the rise of Twitch in general of watching other people play video games and then now watching them play more tabletop stuff has kind of whittled away at that initial uh, uh, reluctance from – uh, the public psyche, you know what I mean? And I think a lot of younger people uh, who, uh, you know, the idea of watching streamed video is is just natural to them, you know, mm-hmm. is, uh, is is also a big reason of that. And that's why we're we're having CNC more and more people, uh, you know, in the in the in the lower de- de- younger demographics jump into Dungeons and Dragons more and more than they ever had before. Yeah, I was actually going to just transition into that. So I'm wondering because probably on on your side of things, you have a lot of metrics or different ways to get a sense of player engagement from either folks who have been fans for decades or, like you said, younger individuals who are getting into the hobby. From your perspective, what trends are are you seeing that you're excited about? Uh, there's, there's a couple. Uh, so one of them is we, we got some recent data back, and this is all kind of like internal survey, sure. so it's not like a 100% accurate you know snapshot of, of the entire D&D audience, but some of the surveys and the data that we've seen sure. has it's a sample, skewed a lot. Sure. Yeah, right, exactly. So don't take it as like, oh, this is exactly all it is. But a lot of the data that we've seen is uh, skewing a lot younger than we had thought. I think uh, there was – you know, and again, this is some of the – benefit of having people who've worked on this brand for 20 years they can say like oh you know 20 years ago our average age uh you know of a of a D&D fan was say 35 mm-hmm. right like that just seemed to be like oh yeah that's the sweet spot for people who are playing this game it was older uh it was people with disposable incomes uh it was uh, uh you know maybe there was some some 
you know, intentional and, and not so intentional gatekeeping that was that was making it feel that way. Um, male definitely very, was very male historically. Mm-hmm. Um, and the data that we're seeing now is skewing much younger. The average age of the player. Uh, I'm not going to say the exact date because I don't have it in front of me, but it's it's younger than 35. You know, it's in the, it's in the, it's reaching the 25, you know, to to 20 to 30 range uh, there. So that's that's surprising to us, and that we're like, oh well, this we're, this is where we're seeing a lot of uh, of growth of people as people who are who are much younger who are getting into it, um, and it's also being uh, much more uh, representative as far as all genders. You know, so mm-hmm. a lot more women are playing, and I think that comes from seeing other women play uh, I, uh, I I love that critical roles uh, um, uh, Marisha and Laura and uh, Laura Bailey and uh, uh, they've really brought this idea that like you can be as uh, much of a nerd as as anyone else <laughs> absolutely uh, and, and tell those stories that are important to, to you uh, and seeing those happen I think has been extremely liberating. I mean, you know, that's a big reason why um, we liked uh, Girls Guts Glory was because they were newer. They had both of those uh, things. They were a newer group. They had just started playing. They, they uh, you know, it's that use case that I was describing earlier. They, they liked fantasy. They've always enjoyed video games and they've always thought about playing more Dungeons and Dragons. They're like, yeah, hey, let's go do it. And they did. And you know, they weren't experts at it by any means and they were they were learning uh as they were going but it was all about the joy and the love of 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 telling stories together and it all came came out and and then they are now in in turn inspiring other young women uh uh, to get and do that too so yeah those are those are the two big data points of the change in the audience that we've seen uh and uh i think there's more there's more to be done of course i mean i i I won't really be happy until we get data that has uh more of a 50 50 split between men and women playing dungeons and dragons um, you know, it's not quite there yet. It's growing, as I said, uh, but not quite uh, where it is in the population. And then also, I mean, uh, uh, to be to be really honest, people of color. Uh, I think they they see themselves in our books. I think we've made a really good uh, job. Uh, made a really good job. Did a really good job of of making sure that people from all walks of life and all backgrounds felt that they were represented in in the artwork in our games um and i think that's that's a good step but you know we need to do better at making sure that they're a big part of uh other people playing online and uh in, in other communities uh and uh we, we see that as a huge growth potential for an, for a new group of uh of people who uh may have been reluctant to uh jump into this community in the past and we want to make it as inclusive and 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 welcoming as possible um and uh provide again that basic social need of 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 getting around to to play with their friends in your role of you know again as you know communications manager how what are some of the steps that you're already taking or to try to include more women, more uh, individuals of color, and other forms of diversity in D and D. Well, uh, most of it is uh, visibility. Um, I think if, if people see themselves uh, or people who look like themselves in uh, both the artwork in the game as well as on our marketing channels or you know whether it's uh, uh, on, on our, our Twitch channel itself, on twitch.tv slash DND, or if it's uh, <laughs> nice. through through uh, the, the way we uh, interact with influencers out there or things like that, I think I think that's has been my biggest push is making sure, uh, you know, even just on Dragon Talk on, on my podcast, uh, I've, I've been really trying to reach out to uh, uh, prominent people of color who are uh, in the 
fantasy world as well as uh, uh, people who um, are, are streaming uh, and things like that and making sure I'm elevating them as much as possible. And I think honestly that that's the best way to do it it's not even i don't want to even want to make it like it's uh you know i i think there's the danger of being like hey look see we've got you know so and so and that's all we need right you know and i think that's that's totally the wrong approach and i i want to integrate them into the community uh as much as possible and that's just by you know by having them be a part of the community by by inviting them you know and i think that's that's the, the biggest thing that that we're trying to do and i imagine you know part of that goal going forward might be to have you know i know it's a lean team but have members on the team be representative of the different populations you want to touch base with absolutely absolutely that's a that's a goal for 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 me uh and uh i think uh for for a lot of the members of the team too i wonder has there been any i don't know if tension's the right word but as a lot of newer younger individuals are coming into the hobby and certainly D has a decades-long fan base that has been through it through different editions and whatnot. Is there a challenge from your point of view of trying to bridge that gap to talk to both audiences, or what are some of the potential issues there? Um, I don't think so. Okay. I think, uh, you know, I feel like that's like a, a, a perception in the community that like, oh, you need to make sure that you're, uh, uh, yeah, almost like they're like two sides of a coin or something like mm-hmm. that. And I, I don't really see it that way. I see okay. as, uh, being inclusive is not, divisive <laughs> right i feel like it's the opposite of that it's about bringing uh people together and making uh uh the community as welcoming to all people uh now you know, obviously if your uh, your your behavior is is uh objectionable in any way then then we'll you know that's that's a different matter but you know on the surface if you are a fan of dungeons and dragons we want you to be a fan of dungeons and dragons uh it doesn't matter about any of the other demographics or anything like that, you know, mm-hmm. like that's that's I think the the approach that we're taking, and and uh, if there are any conflicts, I think I'd much rather, uh, you know, uh, again go back to behavior. Like if you're acting a certain way uh, because you, you you feel like there's tensions or there's something wrong with what we're doing, then you know you are free to to be in another fandom, you know, like that's, that's how it is. Like it, it, I, I'm much more excited about um, uh, people. Coming together and sharing their 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 love of fantasy storytelling, uh, and and that's what I think uh, we should focus on is bringing bringing those people together, no matter what they look like or or uh, how they identify or or who they are. It can be a big tent, absolutely. For sure, right? And I mean that that goes to I mean there used to be you know conversations in this community ten years ago about uh, additions and different additions and all that stuff, and I think. Uh, a lot of that uh, was steeped in some of the stuff we're talking about now, but also in in the uh, perception of conflict where there where there where there didn't need to be. And I'm always about uh, working with uh, everybody in the RPG community, uh, whether they work for you know companies like uh, uh, Wolfgang Bauer for for Cobalt Press or uh, uh, Green Ronin or uh, uh, Pathfinder and Paizo and uh, all of them. Like I, I feel like it is. Uh, a large tent, as you said, and we want more uh, people to be playing tabletop role-playing games in general. And one of the really, I think it branches off of this in my mind, but my mind works in different ways, so you might disagree. Um, one of the, <laughs> one of the really cool articles that I saw a few months ago was this article. I think it was it was in Five Thirty Eight about D and D Beyond and some statistics uh-huh. on the type of characters that were being made. 
And I just was wondering, again, from your perspective, you, have, you must have access to a lot of really interesting data. And just whether it's from D&D Beyond or some of these other metrics that you might have access to, but what's kind of the most interesting thing that you've seen recently that's been an eye-opener for you? A lot of people like human fighters. I know, yeah. I noticed that. <laughs> right? That was the thing that was the most surprising to me, uh, I just on a personal level, is that uh, I—that's just not the my my archetypical wheelhouse. You know, like that's not the the type of character I gravitate towards. You know, I I've I like uh, weird elf uh, magic users generally, sometimes a rangers, uh, but I mean part of the joy of fantasy is that it encompasses so many different archetypes. Uh, so, no, that that was that art that. The part of that data that was the most surprising to me, you know, and, and also that's just a, uh, a sample, uh, you know, that's where the characters that people made. Uh, and that was also in the first couple of months of the data of D&D Beyond. So you could you could argue that it was like, oh, people just wanted to make their first character. And that, you know, that was the one that they made uh, was a human fighter because that was, you know, the, inarguably it's the it's one of the, the, the simplest archetypes to kind of understand. Right. So maybe that's why. People gravitated toward making those characters. Now it's harder to to get data on what characters people play, mm-hmm. but uh, you know we're actively trying to get more of that. And 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 having snapshots from D and D Beyond is super uh, exciting and interesting. Uh, but you know people people don't play as many druids, and I, I feel like most of the people I interact with do play druids. <laughs> so that was a bit surprising too. So you know it's uh it's it's odd to see where the data points are, and I, I love that story uh, from Five Thirty Eight because I've you know I've been a, a fan of the data that they that they put out there, uh, and it was really cool to see them talk about Dungeons and Dragons in a way uh, that uh, you know kind of got to the heart of it. I almost want them to dive in more uh, because there's a lot more data that D and D Beyond, uh, as well as our other digital partners like um, uh, Roll Twenty and Fantasy Grounds and all that. And they could collect data from all of those places. We might be able to see a much different you know, heat map of, of, of which player character combos people are actually playing out there. Yeah, and that, I mean, my background in psychology and it's kind of how I started writing about D&D was analyzing combat speed in fourth edition and like looking at looking at data from slow. slow. <laughs> that was the combat speed in fourth edition. Yeah, but I think there's so many interesting Things that you can research, and I know I've talked to some other members of the community who are, who are doing some things in this area, and I just imagine having access to some of the stuff you have access to. You could do some cool stuff just by getting a sense of who are the players, what are their preferences, how are games online playing out. It just, you know, the last person I had on the podcast, uh, Dr. Canal, she was talking about, and she's a, another psychologist, and she has a D&D stream that, that she's doing with some other mental health professionals, which I think is really cool. Um, mm, cool. But she's kind of had this line where she talked about D&D as people management. And you were kind of talking about that earlier when you were discussing D&D as just you know storytelling, storytelling to friends. Mm-hmm. And that sooner or later, regardless of rules, regardless of props, regardless of anything else, it boils down to a bunch of people sitting around the table or sitting around some computers communicating to each other. And the dynamics of that I find really interesting and fascinating it is fascinating and i think i'm i've made the joke before that like um you know if i'm i i I 
was a stage manager when I was doing theater, you know, so I always had that like uh, uh, mindset of organizing, organizing and getting, you know, people all on the same page for rehearsals and then performances, you know, and I was like, man, I had this theory that like most people who are theater people. And then who also played Dungeons and Dragons, I was like, is it, there must be a correlation, that Venn Dam diagram of like Dungeon Masters and Stage Managers, <laughs> uh, because the, you, you need those those same skill sets. I think in some ways the Dungeon Master, you know, yes, they're creative and they're telling all the, the, the NPCs and, 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 and embodying them and, and telling that story. Um, but one of the skill sets that you absolutely need is just the people management of getting people in this the room uh or you know the the virtual room uh to, to play on at any given time on a on a scheduled moment uh that's tough that's not always easy right. uh and it takes a certain amount of desire uh to play but also the desire to 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 manage those personalities and get them working i mean and there's also you know all the inter inter player drama of things that can happen and and in many ways the the, the stage manager is the default uh, mediator uh, between those things, and so that's a very interesting kind of thought that I'd love to go down. And and uh, uh, you know, your your previous guest sounds really interesting too. I'd love to talk to to her and pick her brain about uh, about this. And and honestly, it's a way. You know, I mean, one of the things that has always been a limiter for the growth of this game is dungeon masters. You know, mm-hmm. there's only there's so many people i think who have the skill set or know that they have the skill set needed to to make that happen and so um teaching people those skills and i think it is a teachable skill i don't i mean obviously there's some innate talent in, involved but i think it is something that you can actually teach people um that uh, uh you know maybe using some psychiatric uh, uh know-how is a is a nice way to think about uh, how we could you know get people those skills that they need to to organize more games and and that's something that i i think it's one area that I've always thought there's room for growth from the official products is something or more things to help with the people management part and not mm. turning people into mental health providers at the table, but just <laughs> but something that helps with those skills. You know, and I thought the, uh, the fourth edition Dungeon Masters guide did a really good job of that. I thought that was one of the first times I'd seen the breakdown of like different types of players and what, you know, each one of them needs and how to give them that at the table. Um, but you're right. There's definitely more growth for that, uh, as far as, uh, that goes. And we actually had a, uh, you know, we've, we've, you know, in batting around some of the ideas of, of, of how to create content or make programs that, that people would, uh, get into. And a lot of, one of them was, uh, uh something called the uh, Dungeon Masters Academy, which would basically do, you know, how to tell stories in, in, in our framework, but then also some of what you're talking about of, of what to do with a problem player or what to do uh, in a situation uh, that arises like this or, you know, think, you know how to win friends and schedule games, you know, right. like that kind of thing. So I think there's there's a lot to that. Yeah, like I think about my, you know, my training as a psychologist, one of the first things before they let me loose in a room with a real patient was you do role plays or you watch videos of someone more experienced Here's a situation. Here's one way to do it. Then you talk about it. And then here's another mm-hmm. way to do it. And I think creating content, like creating video and putting that up on YouTube, I mean, not to add to your work level, but like it, it's <laughs> like I think that kind of stuff is so ubiquitous now. Like you could throw up some kind of here's a, city, here's a series on how to handle combat at the table or how to handle a disagreement between players. Like that kind of stuff would be really cool. 
Sure. And I think what uh, has really been happening in the last few years with the growth of, of, of online content is stuff like the, the DM tips uh, that uh, Keegan Sundry does. Uh, they you started up with with Matt Mercer and Satine Phoenix has taken up the uh, the, the banner and she's been doing uh, all great work uh, uh, talking about all those things. We also have a show on our channel now uh, by Will Jones from uh, Encounter Roleplay uh, that's called Learn by Play mm-hmm. um, that is taking some of these ideas and making it happen so that you have you know they'll play for for an hour or, or so and then he'll stop and go into a uh, you know, uh, a, a secret chamber and not giving any spoilers away to his players, but he will talk to the audience and be like, this is why I made this decision here. This is what I'm thinking about this. This person said that, and I'm going to use that later on because of this, you know, so it's a little bit more story based, but like, I think you're, you're totally right that the community, uh, has been doing it and having some, some, uh, official content along that way is, is something we're always thinking about and talking about because there's a lot there. Oh, yeah. And well, thank you so much for all of your time uh, here this afternoon and uh, talking with us about D and D and your your journey to become an employee with Wizards of the Coast. How can folks get in touch with you? How can they check out all the stuff that you're producing? Uh, sure, I'm on uh, Twitter. I'm uh, at Greg Tito, uh, G R E G T I T O. Um, I'm also on Instagram now, uh, Greg uh, underscore Tito. There, uh, I post lots of pictures of uh, here in the office. Trying not to give anything away, obviously, but uh, <laughs> uh, it's a good Spoiler way to. Alert. to- if you're interested in, in, in what our team is like and how we work, you know that's a that's a good way to get some of it. Uh, and uh, yeah, ask me any questions you want on Twitter. Uh, and then I also I'm on Twitch a lot. We do our Dragon Talk podcast uh, live recordings on Mondays uh, starting around 2 p.m. Pacific time. Uh, that's on Twitch.tv/dnd. Uh, I also do a thing before Dice Camera Action uh, on Tuesdays uh, around 3:15. I'll come on and and talk a little bit about some new stuff that's coming out from Dungeons and Dragons and then get uh, Chris Perkins ready for, for the start of his show at 4 p.m. And uh, yeah, I guess that's that's pretty much all the ways. Uh, well, I, well, And then the Dragon Talk podcast itself, if you want to uh, listen to that, it is on uh, Google Play, it's on iTunes, it's wherever you can get uh, things. It's called Dragon Talk. Me and Shelly Mazzanova have a fun time talking to some of the uh, creators out there as well as interesting folks like I, I'm definitely going to pester you Michael about your your previous guest and try to get her on to talk to her because that sounds fascinating uh, but we also talk about you know uh, uh, D&D and education uh, as well as uh, entertainers like Matthew Lillard and, and how they've been playing Dungeons and Dragons and how they integrate it with their their kind of professional lives so that's a fun time. I listened um, fairly I don't know how long ago with, with Patrick Rothfuss he was on there. Yes yeah. Yeah, that one went into some crazy places where he was talking about, uh, you know, uh, some of the stuff we were talking about earlier about the violence and 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 things with uh, uh, with uh, uh, children and being a father and all that stuff. So that that was a really interesting one. We didn't really talk about <laughs> fantasy that much. Yeah, but definitely check out Dragon Talk and all the other stuff you're doing. Um, thanks for being, just you know, speaking from uh, just really a fan and then someone who started a blog back up in 2011. And you know, I really appreciate your willingness to engage with folks like us who are just fans and you know writing about the game or posting videos or streaming and i think it it feels like even though it's a a small team at wizards i think you and other people are very much plugged in to kind of the zeitgeist of (laughs) a lot of the folks who are out there just who are invested in the game and wanted to succeed and are fans and uh, i've appreciated just your willingness to even you know talk with me here today come on the show like i know your time's valuable so thank you very much 
Oh, no problem, man. I love it. I love uh, talking to the community. I mean, I, I, I think I'm a fan just like you uh, are. So it's 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 never a hard uh, way. I mean, it's 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 never a difficult decision for me to talk about Dungeons and Dragons. I will do that all day long. Uh, so uh, thanks for having me on. And, and we really appreciate everything that uh, the community has been doing, uh, uh, talking about uh, our game. I think we're in a very uh, interesting time. Uh, in the world right now, so I think the D and D community being as positive and inclusive as it is has really been a uh, beacon of solace for for a lot of folks, not just uh, in the community itself, but here on the Dungeons and Dragons team. So thank you for for being a p- big part of that too. Very welcome, and and ditto that about the time we're living in. So <laughs> everybody, <laughs> take care of yourselves and take care of each other. Exactly, self care. Yes. All right. Well, you have a wonderful day, evening, and. Uh, Keep up the great work. Thanks, man. You too. Thank you very much.